You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Hope Niagara. It is really good to see you, really good to hear you singing praises under the Lord. It's one of the, one of the great benefits of sitting near the front is you get to hear your brothers and sisters and their voices going over you as uh, we worship in song together. Well, before we get into our scripture uh, this morning, I just got a couple of things I wanted to uh, talk to you about. First of all, this is long, long overdue. Should have done this weeks ago, but just way led on the way. And uh, but I'm doing it today. Just wanted to uh, publicly to welcome to our staff team on a, tar- a part-time basis, Shane Reed. Uh, Shane is our graphics and communications coordinator, and he was here in first service. I should have brought a picture of him, but anyway, lots of you know uh, Shane. If you're newer to our church, you'll get to know him, and uh, he has uh, been through a lot this past year, to say the least. But God has been good. Uh, God has done some mighty things. And uh, not only is he doing very well physically, but he's helping us out uh, graphically and in communication. So social media stuff, uh, things that we print, uh, sermon slides. The, he, is the, he is the artiste uh, be doing that and uh, started with us at the beginning of September. So I just want to welcome Shane. I, don't, I think he was here for a service. I don't think he's here in this room. So we clap for him for a service. Maybe you can clap for him too. That's right. And um, I don't know if that's on or not, but anyway, I'll let somebody else worry about that. Something else I want to do, uh, talk to you about, hasn't it, I mean, looking around here where we are physically in this building, I mean, hasn't it just been a huge blessing? Just a huge blessing for us to see. Praise God, right? We're so, we're so grateful. I do need to tell you, though, today that there has been a change uh, the, those who own the building, the Fellowship of Evangelical Baptists, or FEB, uh, have let us know that they no longer wish to rent to us. Instead, they want to sell to us. Yes. Don't you hate me for doing that to you? <laughs> they want to sell to us. And um, we believe, by God's grace, it is going to happen. In fact, the, the agreed-upon timeline, the target timeline for us to be owners of this building is by the end of this calendar year. So we believe that can happen. We believe that whether we meet that target in terms of timeline, we believe it will happen. Um, I know you've got lots of questions, and um, there are lots of things that we'll be able to fill you in on as the days and weeks go by. Uh, There is a dollar figure on the table. Uh, We just feel it's just a bit premature to say it publicly just because where we're at and working some things out. Um, But as we look at uh, the terms right now, um, by faith, by God's grace, we we do believe it's going to happen. And that in in God's timing, and that may well be very soon, that we'll own this building. And for some of you have been praying for 11 years, 10 years, 9 years, been praying a long time. Some of you are maybe new to us or just joined in praying. Uh, we believe that God is hearing and answering our prayers in pretty profound ways. So we're just so grateful to God. Let's just, show our, let's just let the Lord know how grateful we are for his goodness to us. Yeah. Now, 
Next Sunday night is our prayer and praise night, as was uh, mentioned already. So there's going to be some serious praising going on and thanksgiving. You want to be there. You do not want to miss it. And uh, we'll also be praying that God would guide us and provide for us as we move forward. Um, Feb has been a great partner to us. They have been very, very kind. And uh, we are looking forward to uh, seeing this through. And not only seeing this through, but, you know, by faith, we just trust that the Lord will also help us to uh, serve together in other ways, too, as we serve the King of all kings. So that is really good news. Sorry for doing that to you at the front, but i got to have some pleasures in life, all right? So listen, let's get our Bibles open, shall we? Let's go to John chapter 13. And uh, as you turn there to John 13, why don't we just pray together? I just want to thank the Lord. I just want to express to him our thanksgiving, our worship for his kindness to us, and then, and then to pray that he'd be with us as we study this text together. So we just join me in prayer together. Father, as a church, we, we're just humbled by your kindness to us. Lord, you have provided in ways that we just couldn't have anticipated. Lord, it wasn't many months ago that this wasn't even a thought and yet here we are, and here you have been, you've dealt so kindly with us. Lord, we give you thanks. Lord, many of my brothers and sisters here have been praying a long time. And to see you moving in this way and answering our prayers, Lord, it's, it's a joy for us. And we're so thankful. But Lord, you have done for us exceedingly abundantly far more than this. You've given us your son, the Lord Jesus. You've given us the indwelling of your spirit. You've given us your promises. You've given us life, eternal life through Christ. Lord, it occurs to us that we cannot fathom the height of your kindness. Lord, we cannot plunge the depth of your goodness. We cannot count the number of your blessings. We love you and we're so grateful to you. Lord, as we study your word today, Lord, this is a passage that is so crucial for us, Lord. If we are not obedient to this passage, this will all be for naught. So I pray, Lord, that you would bring to us a real holy sobriety as we consider your word, and that this would be a text, a passage of scripture, words from you that would land on each of us in such a way that we're not thinking about others, but we're thinking about ourselves and what you are saying. I pray for that, Lord. I pray you would do good to your church today that you would make much of Jesus, and that you would help us, Lord God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the scripture passed this morning is John 13, verses 34 and 35. We're continuing our teaching series called Building Up, Standing Strong, the Five Pillars of Hope Niagara. These pillars are, you could also think of them in terms of like core values or uh, distinctives. They are particular practices that we believe that God wants us to prioritize. And uh, we've, we've been through four of them already. Today's the fifth and final pillar. Uh, you remember what they were? Let's just see. Let's do a little test here, okay? It's exam time. So, so pillar number one was what? You remember un, unapologetic preaching. That's right. I knew that you knew. You just wanted to see if I knew, right? Unapologetic preaching. That's right. So proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. And then second is un unashamed, unashamed adoration. That's right. Lifting high the name of Jesus in worship. And then unceasing, 
unceasing prayer, believing firmly in the power of prayer, and then unafraid, unafraid witness. That's right, sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. And now today, the fifth and final pillar we call uncommon community, pursuing genuine and loving relationships. The context for our passage in John 13 is this. It's the night before Jesus died. And in that setting, with that coming, he spent a few very precious and important hours with his disciples, preparing them for what was to come. He taught them on many things. But when it came to how they relate to each other and how they were to treat one another, this is what he said. John 13, verse 34. Sorry, I wasn't there. I was in Revelation for some reason. Here we go. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. They say that misery loves company. And if that's true, then the next time you do something really stupid, just remind yourself about the time when the Philistines brought Samson into their temple to make fun of him. D-U-M-B, dumb. Now, Samson was a famous, valiant warrior who had unmatched physical strength that God had given him. And he gave him that strength to, so that he could save Israel, so he could save God's old covenant people from the brutality of their enemies. So Samson was this valiant, strong man with unmatched strength, but Due to his own sinfulness and folly, God removed his power, and Samson was captured by the Philistines. They bound him in chains. They gouged out his eyes, and all God's people said, and they put him into labor camp. Now, from the Philistines' perspective, they, they should have left good enough alone, but they didn't. One day, all the Philistine nobles uh, came together to their pagan temple, and once the booze got flowing, they sent for Samson to come and to entertain them. That was really dumb. What was dumber still is that they made Samson stand between the two main pillars that supported the entire temple structure. And while they laughed at Samson and while they ridiculed Samson's god, This fallen warrior put one hand on each pillar, prayed, and then pushed with all his might. And what happened was is that those pillars gave way, and as soon as they gave way, the whole temple structure came down, crushing the enemies of God's people. Now, You may be wondering, what does this have to do with Jesus' words in John 13? And the honest answer is very little, actually. Other than to say this, Samson knew that if these pillars were pushed over, the result would be ruin. 
And that's why we're preaching a series on these pillars. Because there is someone, as we look at these five pillars, there is someone pushing hard on them. The devil. And he pushes from the outside with opposition and persecution. And if that doesn't work, he's also pushing from the inside to rot us out with compromise and division. If we will stand strong, if we will grow, like if our families would flourish, if our young people would be grounded in the faith, if we would be fruitful, if we would persist in our mission into the next generation, if the Lord tarries into the generation after that and the generation after that, if there is to be anything really done here of eternal significance, then we must be sure that God's priorities are our priorities. We've got to build our church and live out this church life on the strength of these God-given pillars. And that's what this series has been all about. That's what it's been for, that we as a church could collectively, again, affirm these things as God-given priorities, emphases that God wants us to emphasize. And this fifth pillar, I would say to you, is just as important as the other four. Uncommon community, pursuing genuine and loving relationships. Now, I just want to be a little clear about what we mean when we're talking about uncommon community. We are talking about pursuing genuine and loving relationships. That's true. But I want to put a little bit, I want to sharpen that pencil a little bit. I want to put a finer, a finer point on that to say this, that what we mean when we talk about uncommon community is loving one another as Christ has loved us. That's what we're talking about. That's the, the kind of genuine and loving relationships we, we are seeking, that we are pursuing as a church. This uncommon community consists in us loving one another as Christ has loved us. And that's central in our passage today, isn't it? Verse 34, Jesus said to his disciples the night before he died, he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You see, love for the believer, love for, for a church is central. It is the relational imperative of the Christian life that we would love. We would love God and then love one another. John 14, 15, Jesus said to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So like love is the basis of really all Christian obedience and it's the outworking of it too. Throughout the New Testament, we are taught again and again that the primary mark of our character as Christians is to be love. Like 1 Corinthians 14.1, we're told with regards to love, to pursue it. Colossians 3.14, we're told to wear it like clothing. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12, we're told to increase and abound in it. Philippians 2.2, we're called to be united by it. 1 Peter 4, 8, we're, we're instructed to be fervent in it. Hebrews 10 and 24 says that we are to stimulate each other to show it. Nothing is more central to our Christian character and conduct than love. Love for God and love for one another. And really, it's a love that we first experience from Christ, isn't it? He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Question for you, do you grasp, do you grasp how central and essential love is for your Christian life? And do you have this morning an awareness, a conviction 
about the importance of love for our local church? Like, are you seeing, are you sensing that this must be a pillar if we're to stand, if we're to build? It occurs to me that we can understand what is the right thing without examining ourselves to see if what we have is the real thing. And that's really my heart this morning, is that we would have understanding. Understanding is crucial. We, that we would recognize the centrality of love. That's very important. But even more so, my, my prayer is that we would wholeheartedly, by conviction, affirm that. And that this passage, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will change us. And root out superficiality and fakery and bitterness and critical spirits and icy cold divides that we will experience really and truly uncommon community. And I should say as well that as I say that, you might get the impression that we don't have this. I think in many regards we do. I would just to encourage you, as I interact with you and spent now a year in this church, there is profound expressions of love in this church. This is a conviction. This, is, this isn't something we're just sort of coming up with saying, hey, we better focus on this. There's profound expressions of love. Some of you show forth in your life examples of love worthy to be followed, and I mean that. So be encouraged, loved ones. But at the same time, isn't it fair to say, even if something is a strength for us, we need to get stronger? And maybe there's ways in which it's not a strength. Maybe there's areas in which we need to grow. If it's going to be a pillar, then we need to pay attention to this and address it. And I'm praying that that is exactly what will happen here this morning. And that brings us back again to our text, John 13, verses 34 and 35, where I think Jesus tells us, he shows us here, how we can experience really and truly uncommon community. He does it by telling us something about the priority, the pattern, the power and the purpose of love. Okay, so that's where I'm going this morning. We're going to see something about the priority, the pattern, the power, and the purpose of love. So let's start with the priority. The followers of Jesus Christ, you and I as a local church, the followers of Jesus Christ will experience uncommon community when we submit to his authority. This is the priority of love. It's a priority for us because Under his authority, he commands it. Did you notice that in the text? Did you notice that that's what this is? It's a command. See that in verse 34? A new commandment I give you. See that? A commandment. It's an instructive instruction. It's an imperative. It's something we are told we ought to do. In our loving one another, we are submitting to his authority. In behaving unloving, to, unlovingly toward each other, we're disregarding, we're disobeying him and his authority. You see, it's a crucial thing. It's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's not an ideal. It's not a target. It's not just sort of, you know, an encouragement to consider this. It's, it's not given for our consideration. Certainly not up for debate. And it's not qualified hereby, you know, as long as it's easier, if you feel like it, or provided it's reciprocated. No, none of that. He commands it. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. It's a call to love that is an expression of our belief about the lordship of Jesus. Really, to love one another is firstly a lordship issue. As we submit to him, when we come to Christ, we submit ourselves to him, to his word and to his commands. And here he gives us a command about our relationships with one another. If he's in charge, 
then this is how we're to roll. Ever walked into a situation and wondered who's in charge here? You know, maybe you walked into a place of business, or maybe when you show up at work and you look around, there's all kinds of stuff going on. You're like, who is in charge here? Loved ones, here's the deal. When, when people show up here, when they spend time in our fellowship, they should not have to ask that question. It should be evident in our heart, in our demeanor, in our conduct toward one another. It should be evident who's in charge here. It's the Lord, and it's evidence in the fact that we, that we love you know, 1 Corinthians 13, famous passage on love, Paul says to believers is that if we don't have love for one another, he says we are nothing. Now that's a pretty un-PC thing to say to our sensitive spirits, isn't it? It's like you're nothing. Like you might think you're something. If you don't have love for one another, you're, you're nothing. He says, if we don't have love for, towards another, one another, we gain nothing. There may be good things happening, but... Really, at the end of the day, we're just a big, fat, stinking zero if we don't have love for one another. How about the words of John in 1 John 4 and 20? He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. See, you get what he's saying? It's like, if you got people in front of you that... Love and follow Jesus, you can see them. But if you don't love them, if you hate them, how can you love God who you don't see? He says, and this is the commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And sometimes we will say, well, I don't, you know, it's like I don't, don't hate that person or anything like that. I mean, I love them. But in the quietness of our mind, we think to ourselves, just as I can't stand them, I don't like the sight of them. They are thoroughly and utterly annoying to me. And really, I just, you know, I, I don't have any, any warm feelings toward them, no affections, no care toward them. And we think that, but, said, but I love them. No, no, no. That's what he means when he talks about hating them. That's what he means. See, you, you can say you love God, you can say you love believers, but when we persist in bitterness, in complaining, in harsh criticism, in backbiting, in resentment, in, in irritability, and in indifference, it undermines your claim. And Jesus here demands that we make every effort to have his heart toward each other. So let me just put it to you this way. If you're right now deadlocked in conflict with another brother or sister in Christ, let me ask you this. Who needs to make the first move? Here's my answer. Whoever of you is most mature and whoever of you is most sensitive to the lordship of Christ in your life. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean it's all going to work out. But we move forward. How many shameful fights have been carried on and perpetuated among the people of God where those involved, their first concern is not Christ and his commands, but getting things their way, getting the last word, or getting back at the person they feel has slighted them? Loved ones, the followers of Jesus Christ will experience uncommon community when we submit to his authority. Like, who's in charge here? Well, Jesus is in charge. And he commands us to love one another. So therefore, it's a priority. He commands it, so we're called to be after it. So that's the first thing about how we do this. The second thing that, Jesus tell, that we see here in this text is that the followers of Jesus Christ will experience uncommon community when we follow his example. When we follow his example. See, Jesus gives us the pattern of love. 
He shows us the way. He shows us how it's done. Like maybe some of you who are crafty, you, uh, you know, you, maybe you're making something and there's a pattern you follow. This is how you do it. That's what Jesus is saying here in this text. Did you notice that? He says, a new commandment I give you that, that you love one another, notice, just as I have loved you. Now, that's a powerful word for us because Jesus shows us the way. When we find ourselves in a situation where it's hard to love someone, we can cry out to the Lord and he understands. He's like, yeah, I know. I have loved them first, long before you ever came along. Oh, and by the way, I also love you. And that comes with its own interesting quirks too, doesn't it? See, the wonderful thing about, one of the many wonderful things about the Lord is he never calls us to do something that he hasn't already gone before us in doing I remember one of the one of the best, well, the best boss I ever worked for, notwithstanding my current elder board. The best boss I ever worked for was a guy I worked for went back in the days when I worked in the arena. And I remember one time I was out with Lynn and the kids. We were out for dinner back in my hometown, and uh, we were just we were in a pizzeria. And I saw him, and he came by our table. I stopped him, and it was just really great. I hadn't seen him in a long, long time, and he never had met my family. I worked there for him before I was even ever even married. And so I introduced him to Leanne and the kids, and then I told him in front of my family, I'm like, I'm like I told my family, like, this guy, this is the best boss I've ever had. And he's like, oh, you know, he's getting kind of, you know, awkward and emotional. I'm like, no, you're the best boss I ever had, and I'll tell you why. Because you would never ask us to do something you weren't willing to do yourself. And he's just, he gets teary and everything like that. And it was a really, really sweet moment, but I'm serious. I remember one of my first memories of him going to work for him I go past our, 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 our janitor room there, and he's down in the slop room washing out mops and cleaning out buckets. So when he asked you to do something, you always knew he himself would be willing to do it. And that's what it's like to follow Jesus. He's not only willing to do it, he has done it. Love one another just as I have loved you. And wonder of wonders, we can look to the person of Jesus Christ and we look at the people around us and say, how am I going to do this? Well, when we look to him, he shows us the way. He shows us the way. He gives us the example to follow. And interesting thing, in this passage in John 13, Jesus had just a few minutes prior done something that was utterly shocking, that demonstrated what he was talking about. You see, in this chapter, Jesus and his disciples were sharing a meal together. And in that context, you would normally come into the home, and when you came into the home, if it was a special occasion, a servant would come and would wash the feet of the guests. You'd remove your sandals. You know what it's like in the hot summertime, you know, wearing your sandals? It ain't pretty. And uh, you'd come in, and a servant would wash your feet, and then you recline at table. Well, this night, nobody washed feet. They just sort of came in, and they're reclining at table. I'll just show you what they're doing here. If you're in the back, you won't be able to see this. I'm sorry, but... But um, we don't have the, uh, the elevated stage installed yet. But they would be eating their meal kind of like this, just laying down. This is, you should try this tonight, maybe at dinner time. Maybe you'll like it. And just kind of, they would leave, and they'd go around the table. If you're in the back there, I'm just laying on my side. Nothing to see here. It's probably best, you're probably a happier person if you can't see me, actually. It's not very glorious. So anyway, they're, they're laying down here. At, but the, the table's here. They're around in a circle, and their feet are out at the end. So they're in this position, they've eaten their meal, they've enjoyed each other's company, and up gets Jesus. All of a sudden, he gets up, and he takes off his outer clothing, and he gets the bucket, and he goes around and begins washing his disciples' feet, and they're all in shock. Because you just don't do that. They weren't even going to do it for each other. But here's Jesus washing their feet. In fact, it was so astonishing that when he came around to Peter, Peter tried to stop him, tried to argue with him. No, no, you're not washing my feet. 
You're too great for that. You're, this, is, this is wrong. You shouldn't be watching. It's, it's the job of a servant. It's the job of a slave. But Jesus insisted, and he washed. And then he said this to his disciples. Just look back at verse 12. Just, you may have to turn a page back, but look at verse 12 at what he says. He says, when he had washed their feet, John 13, verse 12, when he washed their feet, and put on his outer garments and resumed his place. He said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you, notice, an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Now, question. Is Jesus commanding us here to have foot washings? I don't think so. Because we could sit out there and scrub each other's feet all afternoon, and it ain't going to make us like each other. No, he's calling us to serve one another. And really, this whole foot washing business was in and of itself a powerful example, but it pointed to an even greater example. Because, you see, Jesus not only got down and dealt with the grime and stink of their feet, but the next day he would die to deal with the grime and the stink of our sin, our immorality, our Godward indifference. He would deal in the darkness of our hearts. He would address the dirt that comes out of our mouths. He would die for our sins and serve us in a way, love us in a way like no other ever has or ever could. You see, that's the picture here. He says to them in verse 16, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you what? Do them. If you do them. He's like, you see how I've loved you? I've served you. I've cared for you. You're to do that for each other. And loved ones, that's how we do this. We, the followers of Jesus Christ will experience uncommon community when we follow his example. This is the pattern of love. So let me just get really practical. A little painfully practical. Think about what it is to love someone. I think about like 1 Corinthians 13. In the beginning of verse 4 in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul begins to really describe in some specifics what love looks like. And the first two things he says, he says love is patient and love is kind. So let's try that on. In what ways has Jesus been patient with you? Has he been patient with you? Just telling you, the very fact that you and I are even here is a testimony to his patience. If he wasn't patient, we would have been sent to hell a long time ago. But he's incredibly patient. In fact, some of you today, you're, you're experiencing patience in a way that maybe you're not even aware of. He's patiently waiting for you to hear his call and respond in faith. I'd love for you to do that today. He's patient with us. When we fail, he doesn't write us off. He, he endures so much for us and shows us so much grace. Now think about that. Think about the patience of the Lord that we see in him. Now as we love one another, we are to do that also. Just as he's loved us, we're to love one another with patience. So, so what does that look like? Well, when I'm patient, 
when I'm patient with my brothers and sisters, I'm willing to wait a little longer. I'm willing to explain it better, to give another opportunity. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to allow my plan and my timing to be impacted by the needs of others. It's never convenient. It's rarely convenient to serve each other. But when I'm patient, I'm, I'm willing to wait and willing to do that, willing to adjust. I hang in there with people for the long haul, especially when it's difficult. I'm slow to anger. It doesn't mean that there isn't a time when things, when things must, must change. Like there comes a time when things have to change, when something has to give. But not before we've been patient and waiting. When I'm not patient, I get vindictive, retaliate, I get demeaning toward those who are trying me, maybe talk down to them or belittle them. I get quick to get angry or express anger in sinful ways, like harsh, biting words or I lash out with angry outbursts. When I'm not patient, I'm willing to leave behind those who are just not responding as fast as I would like them and just, just fine to give up and to push them away. Again, not that there isn't a time that we must move forward, but where there's no effort and no waiting, I'm impatient. Let me ask you, are you patient with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Or how about kindness? Think about the kindness we see in the Lord Jesus. Like, look through some of his ministry career. I think of, like, Luke chapter 5, where he touched a leper to cure him. Luke 13, he cared for a woman crippled by evil spirits. Mark 10, he stopped the heal blind Bartimaeus. Uh, in, in Matthew 14, he fed the, the thousands who had come to hear him teach. Now, you hear that, and you're just like, Ross, I can't do any of those things, and neither can you. Well, it's likely that God will not call us to do miracles like Jesus, but he does call us to show kindness like Jesus, and, and to care, maybe to even simple things like Sending a card to someone who's discouraged or, or, or calling someone who's sick or offering to help somebody who is in need, to, to show up sometime for, to visit. or just to, I think one of the simplest ways we can show kindness is just taking interest in each other and listening and hearing. Coffee is a great help in these things. You've got something to sip on while you try to be like Jesus with the people around you. Remember the, the, that, the bracelets we, we, maybe we used to wear, maybe still do, the WWJD, what would Jesus do? That's a good question. How about a little spin on that? What did Jesus do? WDJD, what did Jesus do? All eyes on him. He shows us the way. The followers of Jesus Christ will experience uncommon community when, when, we first of all submit to his authority. That's the priority. And when we follow his example, he sets the pattern. Third, the followers of Jesus Christ will experience uncommon community when we know his love ourselves. That's the power to love. The power to love one another comes from the fact that Jesus loves us. You know that song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is what? He is strong, and he's strong enough, his love is great enough to fill you up with love so that you can love one another. Isn't that amazing? You say, where are you getting this from in this text? Just look again at 13 and verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Just as an aside, 
I think the newness of the command, that's what's new about it. This isn't the first time in the Bible we see a command to love one another, but now we've got something we didn't before. We've got Jesus himself there demonstrating that love and giving us that love. He says, just as I have loved you. Let that line land on you this morning. Jesus has loved you. And that, loved one, is where you get the power to press on with your brothers and sisters. That's where you get what you need when you ain't getting it from them. See, if Jesus is pouring out his love into my life, then that means that means that he is like a river flowing into a lake. I'm always supplied. If I'm pouring out love into your life, even if you don't love me back, I'm able to keep pouring it out because I don't need the love from you. I get it from Jesus. And so I'm actually able to love. This is what's so uncommon about this community because it's supernatural. It's not us saying we got to love each other. The world can do that. You don't have to be a Christian to pursue genuine loving relationships. But to love in the name of Jesus, to exhibit this kind of love that Jesus is talking about, you only are able to do it when you know Jesus because the source of it comes right from him. Like lots of people, when you hear uncommon community, what they hear, it's an inviting thing for many people because like, I just want a place to belong. And that's okay, I I feel the same way. They'll have a place to belong, to to have some people who know me. But you don't have to come to church to do that. Like it'd be just as easy, I'd suggest, you just find a coffee shop that serves good coffee and show up there every day at the same time. You'll find a community. Or be like Cheers, right? Everybody knows your name. Right? That, that was an uncommon community in lots of ways. If you're around in the 80s, you know what I'm talking about. You don't have to be a Christian to do that. But Jesus is not talking about that. He's talking about a love that finds its source, that finds its power, that finds its reality in him. So it's supernatural. That's what we're talking about. I love what Paul says in Romans 5.5. 5. He says, that his love, the Lord's love, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. That's an awesome thing. Because what he's telling us is that the Spirit of God brings us into the experience of the love of God. Any sense this morning that you have that you are loved by God in Jesus who died for you and rose from the dead is a work of the Spirit pouring out God's love into your heart, and that's the source for you and I to keep loving one another. And that's how we're going to be a pillar. That's how this is going to be a pillar, when our love is powered by him. The power to love. The Christian life is not lived by personal willpower. We don't get there by reminding ourselves in the mirror, now i got to love them today. That ain't going to work. It may help you, but once you get to the afternoon hours... It'll be over. It's also the greatest source of power for your marriage. You want to be that wife, that husband that God calls you to be? You need, you, you need the power that comes from Jesus. You need to know that you are loved by him. And when you know and when you experience his love, when you trust in him and know him, that love is poured out into your life. And that's how your marriage is going to make it. And not just make it, it's going to thrive. That's how you're going to pull off this parenting thing, parents. Like we're, it ain't, If it's up to us, it ain't looking good. Those kids are in trouble. But with his love, with his love, there's a lot of hope. It's the kind of love that we need to have real small groups. Not just get together for biscuits and tea. There's nothing wrong with that either. 
But that's not what we're after. We're after a fellowship. We're after a love. That's how we're going to thrive as ministry teams. The surest source of power to love comes from the Lord himself. The followers of Jesus Christ will experience uncommon community when we know his love. That's the power. Fourth, finally. The followers of Jesus Christ will experience uncommon community when we live for his glory. This is the purpose of love. And this is where we get into verse 35. We spent a lot of time in verse 34, but let's look at verse 35, what Jesus says there. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Now, I take all people to mean like all people, like your neighbors, your city, your region. Like they're going to know all people. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, now we see Jesus talking about love, not merely in terms of how we relate to each other, but also its effect on the world. It results in evangelism. It results in commending Christ to the people around us, to the province in which we live, to the nations. See, in loving one another, Jesus is saying, you will bear witness to your allegiance to me. Your love for one another that is supernaturally given and is shown in obedience, that love is going to say something about who we are and who we follow. It will be an advertisement for Jesus. Like we will put on the jerseys of Jesus, like we're on his team in how we love one another. It will be a pointer to him and to his glory. He will get the credit because it doesn't originate with us. I don't love you all because I'm just a good guy. I love you because I've got a love that God has given me for you and you for me and you for each other. And that is to the glory of Jesus. And so when others see this uncommon community, it will testify that we know him. That's the idea. Have you heard of, um, have you heard of a guy named Walker Hayes, a musician named Walker Hayes? Some of you have. I'm not recommending you listen to his music. Don't misunderstand me. But Walker Hayes is a, he's a country uh, singer, kind of. Sort of pop, kind of country, more country. It sounds country to me, but I don't get it. I'm not cool. I don't understand these things. But anyway, um, this summer, I was visiting, we were visiting friends of ours, and a good friend of mine said, hey, listen, you got to listen to this song. There's this, this uh, singer named Walker Hayes. He got this song out. The song is called Craig. You got, you got to listen to this song. So we were driving away, and we fired up this song, Craig, and it's a really neat song. It, it tells the true story of Walker's friendship with this guy named Craig. His name is Craig Cooper. Now, Craig is a, a Christian and a pastor, and at the time when Walker wrote the song, when Walker Hayes wrote the song, he was an atheist and wanted nothing to do with Christ. But what happened was in their lives is that Pastor Craig's wife invited Walker Hayes' wife to come to church, and whether he got dragged there or went there of his own volition, I don't know. It wouldn't be the first time somebody got dragged to church for good reason, and uh, he shows up there. Now, he had a drinking problem. He was an alcoholic, and so he acknowledged, like, I showed up there, you know, smelling like beer, and he said, but I walked in, and he said, the first, he, he, met this, he met Craig, this pastor, who greeted him, reached out his hand, and said, glad you're here. He welcomed him in. And he endured church that day. Now, what happened in the days that follow is nothing short of amazing. The alcoholic atheist and the pastor, the local church pastor, became friends. 
In fact, they became good friends. They, they really hit it off. And not only the two of them, but their families became friends. And the Hayes family, Walker Hayes and his family, were seeing something in the pastor's family that was highly uncommon. There was a love there, and a love that was shown to them that was remarkable. In fact, so much so that at a certain point, Walker Hayes' career looked like it was going sideways. He had a record deal that got canceled, and his family vehicle got repossessed. He's got like a wife and five or six kids. Family vehicles repossessed. He's in serious trouble. Well, Pastor Craig and his wife, they have a little prayer meeting together, and they come up with a Holy Spirit-given plan. And they showed up at the ballpark one night after, after the, the, the ball game of Walker Hayes' son in two separate vehicles, their car and their van. And there in the van is Craig, and he, and he sees Walker Hayes. He said, come over here. He had a piece of paper and a pen. He says, all you got to do is sign right here, and the van is yours. No, 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 I can't do it. He insisted. And they gave Walker Hayes their family van so they could get around. He's blown away by this love, so much so, still claiming to be an atheist. He writes this song about his buddy named Craig. And this is how it goes. I'll read you some of the lyrics. He says, I met Craig at a church called Redeeming Grace. It's like he understood my I don't want to be here face. I felt out of place and I smelled like beer. But he just shook my hand and said, I'm glad you're here. He says, we'll all be judged, but he was never judgmental. And even though my songs don't belong in no hymnal, he quote me my lyrics, slap me on the back, say, man, you got a gift how you write like that. Yeah, I know. He sounds cool, right? Not your typical kid from Sunday school, right? I still ain't figured out church yet. But Craig, I get. Now, he can't walk on water or turn the Napa Valley red, but he just might be tight with the man that did. Now, he's not the light of the world, but I wish mine was bright as his. Yeah, he just might be tight with the man that is. When you lose a record deal, yeah, all the perks fade fast. Dealership said, we're going to need to get that minivan back. So we were down to one car and broke as I felt, my wife and six kids and only five seatbelts. I needed help, but I couldn't admit I was struggling. Said, Craig, it's all good, but he knew it all wasn't. Uh, hey, man, I'm praying for you. Would have been sufficient, but no. He took roadside assistance to a whole nother level, to sacrificial heights. Showed up at the ballpark after my son's game one night in two cars with his wife, Laura, watching from the other. I said, what in the world are y'all doing here, brother? He just laughed inside that old Chrysler town and country van with the keys and title and a pen in his hand. Said, man, all you got to do is sign and it's yours. I said, no, no way. But he wouldn't take no for an answer. Yeah, I know. He sounds cool, right? Not your typical kid from Sunday school, right? I still ain't figured out church yet. But Craig, I get. Now what happened next is amazing. The atheist realized he'd just written a song about someone who had loved him so profoundly and realized there is this Jesus who I refuse to believe even exists. And yet here's my, do, my new best friend, and he just might know him. In fact, now he points out, he said, you'll notice in this song, he never once mentions the name Jesus, and that was totally on purpose, because he wouldn't. 
But he's like, here I am in my defiance, and I can't, but I can't deny. There was an unconditional love that they experienced that came from Jesus, and it was a testimony to them, to him. Maybe he's just real. Eventually, in time, God began to work more and more in his life. He said, God, if you're there, then take away my desire to drink. And he did. His wife said, come downstairs in the morning, all of a sudden he's reading the Bible. And then one fateful day, he called up Pastor Craig, and he answered the phone, and he said, I believe. Craig's like, you believe, what do you, what do you, what do you believe? What are you, what are you talking about? I believe. He said, you, you mean to tell me that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And that he died for you, and you want to live your life for him? Yep, that's what I believe. And three years ago, Walker Hayes gave his life to Jesus. How'd that happen? Well, God used the, the, the love that was evidenced in Craig and his wife and his family to testify to the reality of Jesus. There came a point where Walker Hayes could no longer deny the reality of this person they knew and changed him. And loved ones, I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. We'll experience uncommon community when we live for his glory. That's the purpose of our love. It's a testimony to the reality of Christ. So let's review. The followers of Jesus Christ will experience uncommon community when we submit to his authority. It's a lordship issue. And therefore, it's a priority because he commands it. Also, when we follow his example, he sets the pattern. He shows us the way. When we know his love personally, that's the power source to do it. And then when we live for his glory, the purpose is that Christ would be known and we would be seen for who we are, people who know him. Now, before I close... I just want to give you just three really practical things so you can just know, okay, what do we do now? Number one, I think it would be wise for us and prudent to seek God for his grace to help us grow in love, to grow in love. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, one way we seek God is in his word, like study love. You know what a neat little exercise you could do is just get a concordance or, look, or, or search up in your Bible Every time you see the word love in the New Testament, you say, well, that's going to be too many. Well, just pick 10, 12 verses. And look and see and ask the Lord, Lord, show me. Show me what love really is. Not just what I think it is, but what love is as you say it. Study love. Look for love. Look for it evidenced in the people around you who show you also who follow themselves the pattern of Jesus, who would show it to you. Pray for it. Lord, help, help me, help us as a church to be this kind of church. It would be not just something on a poster, but actually a pillar. Seek God to grow you, to grow us in love. That's the first thing. Secondly, learn how to love in many different ways. Learn how to love in many different ways. It's really interesting when you read in the New Testament and see the many varied expressions of love that we're called to. Like, for example, we, we might think, firstly, of affirming verbally that we love one another, and there's, there's good warrant, biblical warrant to do that, but there's more than just that. You know, physical touch is an important way of communicating love. Now, some people don't want to be touched. 
So if you get that vibe that they just, we're not going to love them that way, we'll love them a different way. But some people will yearn for it. You know, Paul said the Roman, the Roman believers, he said, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, depending on your cultural background, that might get a little weird. But what would it look like in our context? Maybe a real handshake, maybe a pat on the arm. For some, it's an embrace. At certain seasons in our life where we're doing these elbow things, maybe you're really into it, or a fist bump, or whatever. Finding ways to show physically that I care, and you matter to the Lord. Or how about time? Hospitality, giving your time and hospitality is a, is a great thing. To open your home, to have somebody in, to share a meal with them, to share time with them. You say, my place is too small. What, you don't have a Tim Hortons near you? They're everywhere. Use Tim Hortons there, right? In fact, if you're new, go get a gift card after this and it'll help you along the way. Hospitality, your time, your gifts. Maybe you see a need that's there to be met or an offer to help when you find someone is in a difficult position. But learn to love in many different ways. Thirdly, finally, engage in small groups. Small groups in our church are critical. Really, it's kind of the epicenter of where we pursue genuine, loving relationships. It's where like the rubber hits the road in terms of shepherding in our church, and it's strategic. It's on purpose. In fact, most of our ministries have small group components to it. Men's ministry, women's ministry, there's a large gathering, but we break out into small groups. Same thing with youth, same thing with young adults. And we have small groups that meet in homes. These are places where we meet together and have fellowship together and, ex and exchange with one another, experience together. This very love that we are talking about, these are the epicenters of uncommon community in our church. And I want to encourage you, to, to if you're not in a small group, to don't be on the periphery, but to move toward the middle and step forward into this uncommon community that the Lord is calling you into. Now, I'm just going to end my sermon right here. I'm going to pray. And I know it feels like a bit of a crash landing, but here's the thing. You and I, we can't make ourselves do this. We need the Lord to help us with this. So let me just pray.